Well, it is a great privilege to be with you again. Uh, I love what I see happening here. Uh, you don't just receive knowledge here. Uh, knowledge is important, by the way. I don't want to minimize that. But uh, this is a nurturing community where you do life together. Um, you hunt together. You have Thanksgiving meals together and a lot of other things and that's really distinctive about Montana Bible College and my hat is off to you. Um, Montana Bible College and RHMA are kindred spirits in a lot of ways, uh, notable being similar hearts for the spiritual needs in rural America. And if some of you have an interest in rural America, why I'll be hanging around for a while, be glad to talk with you one-on-one -on -one or um, there's also a display that'll, that is set up where we're eating today, and be sure to stop by, at least pick up a free highlighter pen, and I just got some freshly harvested uh, Illinois candy corn that is, is there, so you can pick up some of that and uh, come to lunch if you'd like. Uh, it'll just be informal at lunch. Uh, one of the things I'd like to talk to, to you about just a little bit over the lunch hour is uh, just ask the question, should I go into a solo pastorate when I graduate from Montana Bible College, or should I uh, only think in terms of going into maybe some kind of assistant pastor role uh, somewhere? You may be just assuming the latter uh, because of your age, perhaps, or uh, inexperience, but I'd like to maybe help you to uh, consider maybe some other options as well when you graduate from here. Well, perhaps you have seen the AT&T commercial of a man posing as a tutor, and uh, he's asking the question, which is better, bigger or smaller? And the answer is, it's not complicated, bigger is better. What do you think about that? Certainly bigger can be better, right? Um, I live 10 minutes from the world headquarters of uh, Caterpillar, the earth moving company. Um, I'm pretty sure there's some advantages to have their five-story high earth moving equipment over my shovel in my garage and there's situations where certainly bigger is, is better. Uh, in my early years, I had a bigger is better way of thinking. I grew up in Phoenix, big city. My church was quite large, a couple of thousand. I attended one of the largest seminaries in the world. Um, so bigger is better, right? Well, let me, uh, before I say any more, uh, assure you that I have not come here this morning to disparage large. Um, I actually had a fabulous upbringing in the big city and uh, my seminary experience was fantastic and the large church that I was a part of in my growing up years had a profound impact in my life. So I think I could probably stand up in front of you and sing the praises of large. Uh, just look at the church right here that we're in, the impact that it's having in Bozeman, the wonderful partnership that it has with Montana Bible College. 
uh, certainly big can be a wonderful thing. But I think a dose of reality is important. For every one bigger ministry, there are probably hundreds of little ministries. The vast majority of churches today are small. A huge majority of pastors never in their lifetimes will serve a church that is larger than 150 people. And beyond pastoral ministry, most ministries, both in the church and outside the church, are small. And actually, if you think about it, most ministries, even in big churches, are small. God in his sovereignty, years ago, plucked me out of big and put me into small. Small town, small church. And 30 years later, guess what? I'm still there. I'm ashamed to say that I began ministry as a pastor in a small church with a bit of an attitude, an air of superiority, uh, a determination to try to turn my small church into a big church, which proved to be an exercise in futility, uh, probably for a number of reasons. One might have been that uh, I probably don't have the gifts of a large church pastor. I think the rural culture probably played a role in that. But probably biggest uh, was population. Our entire 40 square mile county had just 600 people total. So it was hardly an environment for a large church. Slowly, and I have to say slowly because I'm a little thick-headed, um, God has helped me with my perspective on small. Because many of you probably right now are in small ministries, and if not, when you graduate, it's very likely that you'll be going to a small ministry. I'd like for us to think about small for just a few moments. I don't know of any better place to gain a healthy perspective than Zechariah chapter 4. And I invite you to turn there with me. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. As you find chapter 4, let me set the stage for what's happening. A remnant of Jews has returned from captivity. A small percentage of the total that had once inhabited Israel. And one of the first things that these returnees did was to begin rebuilding the temple. And at first they were highly motivated because after all it had been years since they had worshipped together. But then Ezra 3 tells us that after the foundation was laid, discouragement set in, and it started among the old-timers. So let's imagine that all we have in front of us here is a, a foundation. What does a foundation tell us? It doesn't tell us a lot about the building itself, right? What it's going to look like? Not the only thing a foundation will tell us is its size. Old-timers who remembered the previous temple, Solomon's temple, looked at the footprint of what was to be the new temple, and with the assumption that bigger is better, concluded that their new temple would be inferior. 
And Ezra tells us that they wept. Now questions tend to surface in situations like this, don't they? What kind of spiritual life can we possibly have in this temple that is greatly reduced in size? Can we worship as well? Can our student ministries be as effective? Does reduced size mean reduced spirituality, reduced vitality? Should we maybe lower our expectations to match our size? Now sometimes we don't respond very well to questions like these, do we? In Ezra's day, the discovery that their temple would be smaller sent them into a tailspin. And for the next 15 years, that foundation just sat there. They were apparently so convinced that bigger is better that they concluded that no temple was better than a smaller temple. And it's because of this discouragement and halted construction that we have Ezra chapter 4. In the early verses of this chapter, the prophet tells of a vision that he received from the Lord of a completed, functioning temple. And in the midst of this shared vision, Zechariah predicts in verse 7 that this completed temple will become a reality during Zerubbabel's administration. Zerubbabel was the governor at the time. So he's telling the people that the temple will soon be completed. And it's in this context of predicting the completion of the temple that Zechariah provides a theology lesson. Probably more than anything else, theology is what's needed in a situation like this. Within that word theology, we have a compound word. It's the word theos, which is the Greek word for God, and logia, which means study of. So we have all kinds of L-O-G-Y endings, anthropology, eschatology, geology, etymology, hydrology. So theology simply means the study of God, God's perspective, his truth. Now the problem that the Jews had is they were looking at their situation from their perspective. And I think we often do that, don't we? And when we do, we get mired down and discouraged. It was Zechariah's theology lesson, Zechariah's pointing people to God's perspective, which proved to be the impetus that was needed in this situation to get the Jews back to work. And history tells us that indeed they completed the temple during Zerubbabel's administration. Now what I'd like for us to see is that Zechariah's theology lesson was not only timely for his day, but that his words provide tremendous affirmation and validation for those of us who today are or will soon be in smaller ministries. Much needed affirmation, I might add. Because in our world today, it's not hard to feel intimidated or to have feelings of inferiority or, or to be discouraged, especially if we play the comparison game between our ministry and bigger ministries, or if we attend conferences or read books in which bigger ministries are trumpeted. 
The crux of our encouragement can be found in two verses. First of all, verse 6. An often quoted verse, but I wonder how many of us know the context from which we are quoting. Zechariah reminds the people that regarding the temple, and I think there is rightly application here for us today in the church, it's not human might or power that is important, but whether the Spirit of God is at work. Every square foot of that old temple, the big temple, Solomon's temple, had exhibited human might and power. Second Chronicles tells us that 158,600 men had worked on that temple for seven years at who knows what cost. It ended up being a massive palatial temple. But Zechariah says, you know what? It's not human might or power that matters, but it's whether God's Spirit is working inside, bringing life and health and vitality to the congregation. And you might recall that there was very little evidence of God's Spirit working in Solomon's temple, especially in the latter days. Is the working of God's Spirit proportionate to the size of the church or ministry? Can a smaller ministry be as spiritually vital as a larger ministry? We ask questions like this, don't we? Theology lesson number one. God doesn't dole out his spirit in proportion to the size of the ministry. And our challenge is to see our ministry context as God sees it, to resist the kind of thinking that leads us to conclude that bigger is better, that a smaller church or ministry cannot have the kind of spiritual vitality that might be found in a much bigger setting. This truth has been reinforced to me time and again in my uh, 30-some years of ministry, 25 of which have been spent as director of, of RHMA, and that's taken me to a lot of smaller churches. Not too long ago, I had the privilege of doing an interim ministry for a congregation that I think averaged probably between 75 and 100. It was in a town of probably less than 500. I was soon impressed with this congregation's warmth, uh, with their hugs, their, their tears, uh, their laughter, their spontaneity, their enthusiastic worship, their eagerness to receive the Word of God, on and on I could go. It was an exemplary uh, town and country church. Now, they didn't have a particularly attractive building, so if you drove up to it, you wouldn't probably be that impressed. And if you're looking for a service that runs like uh, professionally, <laughs> you probably wouldn't go there. But it was the life and the vibrancy and the health that I found to be striking in that place. Another way to say it, it was the Spirit of God working. Because the church was a couple of hours from our home and because we have commitments in our own church, my family didn't go with me on those Sundays when I was preaching in that church, and so after every visit I would come back and I would talk to my wife and kids about 
what I'd experienced that day, and soon curiosity got the best of them, and they cleared their schedules on a Sunday, and they came with me to that church, and fortunately, the church didn't let me down. It was a, a wonderful Sunday to be together. And as we were driving home that day, my wife, Roxy, said something significant. She said, I would enjoy being a part of this church as much as a church of a couple of thousand. Now those were not empty words because remember, we grew up in a church of a couple of thousand. Now again, let me say I'm not saying this to speak disparagingly about bigger churches. I hope you understand I'm not a big, an anti-big church guy today standing in front of you. But rather to underscore what verse 6 says in our text, that spiritual vitality is not proportionate to size. So that's theology lesson number one. Theology lesson number two is found in verse 10. And this lesson emerges through a question that Zechariah asks. Remember, Zechariah here is trying to lift Israel out of the doldrums, getting back to building the temple. And in this context, he asks, who despises the day of small things? Now, this is meant, I think, to be a rhetorical question with hopefully the answer being no one. Now, let's break down the question just a bit. Day here refers to a, a period of time, like the prophetic day of the Lord, not one day, but a period of time that could span many years. We might say, for instance, that we live in a day of increasing health care costs, uh, referring to a period of time. In this context, day refers to a period of time when small things are the norm. Spiritually speaking, in Zechariah's day, big things weren't happening. Now, just about anybody who's been in ministry for some years, and there are several of us here this morning that would meet that qualification, will attest to the fact that there are periods of time in ministry when big things don't happen. Maybe it's because our ministry is in a small town, and if you're a young person in a small town, you think, man, big things just almost never happen here. Um, maybe it's um, simply because of the, the dailiness of ministry. Uh, I predict that when you get out in ministry, if, and maybe you've already experienced this, uh, you will find that uh, there are times when big things don't happen. Now, adding to the difficulty of this can, can be the fact that there are other ministries. Uh, we may just look up the road a ways, maybe to the big town up the road, and uh, big things seem to be happening in that ministry. And we find ourselves discouraged because that kind of stuff isn't happening where we're at. Now, I think it's always good for us to reflect on our ministries to make sure that we're not doing something that might hinder the work of God in our ministries. But often I think we need to simply realize that big things tend to be the exceptions and that's why they get the publicity. So if you uh, have taught a Sunday school class and uh, it's been a pretty good class but 
not necessarily an out-of-the-ordinary class, um, you're probably not going to be written up in a magazine some way. Um, normal day-in, day-out ministry doesn't get a lot of press. But that's where most ministry is. And our text tells us that we should not despise periods of time when seemingly only small, ordinary things are happening in our ministry. Please hear me this morning. We must not let the ordinariness of ministry cause us to despise it. While all of us like excitement, reality is that a huge chunk of ministry just isn't there. Um, but think about this. It's that week in, week out, daily ministry, collectively added up over time, that's likely to make the bigger difference in someone's life. Very few receive lasting impact from one big, exciting ministry event. Now, that event might be the talk of the town for a period of time. Um, we might get a quick charge out of it. It might create some excitement. But chances are the excitement will fizzle and life will get back to the daily mundane. mundane. But you know what? It's in the daily mundane of ministry that the greater impact is likely to happen. Think about how you've been most impacted in life so far. I'm guessing it's happened over a period of time with somebody building slowly into your life. The daily mundane is where the stuff of ministry often happens. Now, don't only don't despise the day of small things, but don't despise small things. Now, what's the small thing in this context? It's the smaller temple, right? Which was being constructed. Now, the Hebrew word translated small here was used not only in reference to size, but also to what many considered to be insignificant and unimportant. A description of how many of the Jews in that day were um, feeling about their new temple. And frankly, a description of how many today feel about smaller churches and ministries. And yet our text says they are not to be despised. The Hebrew word despise means to hold as insignificant, belittle, or regard as unimportant. To some, that's what, how they would view a smaller ministry. But that's not how God views a smaller ministry, and neither should we. Merrill Unger says that this verse challenges one who would look down on something small in which God is glorified. Now, do you suppose that we're prone to despise small things? Out of curiosity, I, I use the thesaurus in my computer to find suggested synonyms for big and small. Synonyms for big, great, grand, tall, towering, major, considerable, vital, important, vast, lofty, lavish, substantial, generous, ample, mighty, full-grown, mature. Synonyms for small. Are you ready? Runt, shrimp, piddling, dinky, one-horse, pint-sized, undersized, limited, insignificant, scrawny, irrelevant, meaningless, pointless, 
stingy, negligible, trifling, petty, trivial, minor, second-rate, meager, shallow, narrow-minded, unimportant, puny. Are we prone to despise small things? I think I might rest my case. <laughs> the good news is that God doesn't. In the eyes of God, the post-captivity temple was no small temple, and so it is today. You know, the words of world-renowned theologian and apologist Francis Schaeffer, I think, capture God's perspective that we see here in Zechariah chapter 4. In God's sight, there are no little people and no little places. Uh, Warren Wearsby is often heard to say, in God's sight, there are no little churches. And then he often goes on to say, and no big preachers. I think that might be a sermon for another day. So God doesn't look down on churches and ministries because they're small, and neither should we. So it's not complicated. Bigger is not always better. You know, when we wonder if we should give our lives to smaller places, and some of you are maybe thinking about that right now, when we get caught up in the we're too small syndrome, the real issue might be theology, not size. When we find ourselves asking nagging questions about our small places, we need to be reminded of God's perspective, for in doing so, truth and uh, satisfying answers will come. Maybe you've seen this Peanuts cartoon, and uh, I'll close with this. Linus and Lucy looking out at the window at a steady downpour. Boy, says Lucy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? It'll never do that, Linus replies confidently. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that it would never happen, and the sign of the promise is the rainbow. You've taken a great load off of my mind, says Lucy with a relieved smile. Sound theology, states Linus as a way of doing that. Hopefully sound theology will lead us to the settled conviction that in God's sight there are no little people and no little places. May God bless you in whatever ministry you might find yourself in right now, whether it's big or small. And uh, may he bless you as well in whatever ministry he has for you when you graduate from here. Should I close in prayer? All right, let's do that. Father, we confess that uh, sometimes our perspective gets clouded because we tend to look at things through our own grids, through our own eyes, and we know that that often comes, comes short of what we should be. And so, Lord, we just invite you to fill our hearts and minds with appropriate thoughts and attitudes and passions as we think about the people that you will be entrusting to us or perhaps already are entrusting to us in ministry. Help us not to look down on them, to think little of them just because they might be in a small place. Help us to value them as you do and help our ministries to reflect that. Lord, I pray for these students as they
continue to go through the day today. I pray that you will just encourage them and strengthen them in the work that you have called them to here. I pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you.